Are you that weirdo that likes bizarre true crime cases? Well, good. Then this is a podcast for you. Welcome to Happy Hour Gets Weird. Hello. Hi, friends. Welcome. Welcome back. I'm Cassie. And I'm Tiffany. And this is Happy Hour Gets Weird. We get together once a week, have cocktails, and talk about weird shit. Exactly. And this week, we are covering two true crime cases involving bad wigs. Dun dun. Maybe they're great wigs. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So I've whole turd. So I've turd. So I've turd. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, what are you drinking this week? <laughs> I am drinking a berry bee's knees is what I'm calling it. It's a work in progress. It's delicious recipe per usual on Instagram and Twitter. And what are you drinking? I am drinking a pineapple habanero margarita. Oh my goodness. That sounds so good right now. I will break social distancing rules to drink that with you right now. <laughs> it is muy caliente. <laughs> Very good. Muy it's, bien. I let my tequila um, steep mm-hmm. in the habaneros for a little bit longer than usual. And it's so spicy and I'm obsessed. I love Delicious. it. You know what? I love a habanero spice because it's more of like, I don't know any other way to explain this, but like a back end spicy and it's like a slow tingling, like it starts in the back and the, the slow tingle just like comes all the way around your mouth to the front. It's my favorite kind of spice in a drink Agreed. is habanero. Agreed. It's very good. All right. So as we said, this week we are doing a true crime episode and each of our cases involves a wig element. That's correct. Would you um, like to go first? Yes, I will go first. And I, my case, it, I actually saw it on the new Forensic Files 2 Ooh. series. Um, this was season one, episode six, titled A Killer Disguise. I love it. I love their titles. They're so good. They're my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you ready for this, this t- twisted tale of a bad disguise? An even worse wig. I am so ready. I'm here. Okay. Okay, Okay, so this tale of a bad wig starts six days after Heather Stroop's 25th birthday. At 6 p.m. Sunday evening in the spring of 2009, Heather met her soon-to-be ex-husband, Stephen Stroop, in a Target parking lot in a suburb of Atlanta, Georgia. Tensions were high during the divorce, so the co-parents decided to meet in a public place when exchanging their son, 19-month-old Carson. Stephen and Heather exchanged baby Carson without incident. As Heather began buckling Carson into his seat, witnesses noticed seeing a very unusual-looking person walking around the parking lot. Short, very slight male, with a bizarre haircut and an even more bizarre-looking mustache. According to witnesses, the man walked up to Heather. They seemed to exchange a few words. Then the man pulled out a revolver from his shoulder bag and shot Heather point-blank in the head. Oh, my God. 
with her baby right there. Yes. Oh my God, that is awful. It's terrible. Onlookers in the parking lot were horrified and 911 immediately started getting calls from witnesses in the parking lot. Police arrived to find Heather dead. However, baby Carson was unharmed in the car. Thank goodness for that, at least. Seriously. <sighs> All eyewitnesses' reports were remarkably similar. The man shot Heather, calmly turned and walked away back toward Target, eventually disappearing behind the building from which he had come. As detectives started, it seemed cold and calculated, possibly pointing to a hired hit. But as they began interviewing witnesses, more the more strange it became. According to witnesses, it seemed as though Heather and her killer had known each other. Most witnesses reported to having a conversation before the shooting. Also, all of Heather's belongings were still in the car, some of them being expensive, uh, ruling out the chance that it was a robbery. It became apparent this was a deliberate and planned ambush to murder Heather. But who would want to kill Heather? She worked at her parents' flower shop. She was a young mom going through a divorce. She was active in her church, and she was well-liked and respected by her friends, her family, and anybody that came in contact with her. Her parents felt like it had to do with baby Carson, but he was left unharmed. So that posed the question, who or why? Pretty much everybody including the entire community, this is a small suburb of Atlanta, was was completely baffled by this crime. The bullet was recovered during the autopsy and found to be fired from a 38 caliber revolver. Other than the recovered bullet, the killer never touched the victim nor the vehicle, so there was no physical evidence at the crime scene. But police did have multiple eyewitnesses, and the front of the target had two cameras that scanned the parking lot. One was a wide oscillating camera that didn't really capture anything. And the other was an older VHS version. So it was pixelated and kind of grainy. It didn't capture the crime itself, but it did capture the killer taking the route to and from the crime scene. I'm sure it was so blurry or pixelated though. I feel like every time there is a camera, it's the worst. Seriously, can't like... uh, it's like, what is that? I don't even know. It's like taking a picture of Bigfoot, basically. Exactly. So this picture, this camera took a picture every second or two. So it was like a very fragmented video, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, what they did find on the video was the direction the killer came and the direction they left, the size and build of the killer also, the killer had a very unusual walk. Now, I'm going to try to describe this walk without showing you. Mm-hmm. So I would think it's something like a, I don't know, it's a weird walk. So they took long steps, but when they were, the front leg was stepping out, they completely straightened out the leg and then took a step and then the brought the other foot forward and completely straightened out the leg. It was almost like a, like a... Um, Nutcracker, like a dry, the nutcracker from the play. Because they can't bend their knees, basically, is what you're saying. It was yes. like they weren't bending their knees the way well, a normal they, person would walk. They would bend their knees, but then they would kick the 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 bottom half of their leg out like they would bend and then kick. Like bend some weird march. Kick. Yeah, it looked very march-like. It was 
bizarre. It was very unique. Police sent eyewitnesses to a sketch artist because a lot of people saw this man kill Heather. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, this man was, I would say, according to eyewitnesses, more noticeable than the average person. He was very bizarre looking. And that's why so many people recognize him because he just caught the attention of before even committing the crime walking around the parking lot he caught the attention of several different people with that, his weird hair mustache and strange military walk yeah that yes. would stand out <laughs> yes and also he was carrying like a purse so i mean it's not very often you see a man carrying a purse it was strange that's true so there was a lot of eyewitnesses and the police sent all the eyewitnesses to a composite sketch artist. And you would think because there were varying accounts of what this person looked like, there would be varying different composite sketches done. They all looked the same. This man looked the same in every single sketch. And the, the witness descriptions were all the same. So they described this man at very slight between 5'5 five, five and 5'8". Five, and the most important thing that the witness said is he had a very striking look, but not in a good way. Uh, one, it, he had very distinctive hair, like it was sticking straight up, like all over the place. Mm-hmm. And he had an even stranger, giant, bushy mustache. They said it looked um, crazy. One person said he looked crazy. Um, and one person even suggested, I don't even see how it could be real hair. It looked more like a wig to me. Mm-hmm. Somebody described him looking like Sonny Bono. Was it Sonny Bono? I might've been. <laughs> okay. I literally wrote, looks like Sonny Bono, but if he was on crack and got electrocuted. <laughs> I have, uh, seen the composite sketch and it is ridiculous we will post it on our Instagram. Please just do yourself a favor and go look at it. It's, it's incredible. a must see. It's a <laughs> must see. Uh, so a lot of people describe the uh, murder as clownish. And if you if you go look at the composite sketch, he does look very clownish. Like he's a clown for sure. Police began to think Heather knew her killer, but no one in her life had any idea who it was. Not her family, not her friends. Nobody could think of any who this person was by looking at the video or by looking at the sketch artist. Nobody recognized this person. This led police to the conclusion that the person might have been wearing a disguise. And this was a first for detectives. When police released the composite sketch, it generated a lot of interest. And I could see why. Is This person <laughs> looks like a lunatic including a truck driver staying at a hotel near the shopping center where Heather was murdered. While sitting in the parking lot, he saw someone who stuck out to him because he literally said they looked crazy. His words. The person he saw was sitting in the driver's seat of a white pickup with a crazy mustache and even crazier hairdo. The trucker said he could identify the truck again if he saw it. 100% he could identify the truck. He said, I'm a trucker. I look at cars and trucks all day long. 
I know what I'm seeing and I can 100% identify that truck without a doubt. It was an older model Ford F-150, white, and it had a very unique trim that was not on every Ford F-150. Now now we're going to kind of get into it. It turns out the Strood family had a white F-150 as like a family vehicle. They kind of all drove it around. They shared it. So that right there clued detectives into the Strood family. Stephen had a motive. He was going Mm -hmm. through a very contentious divorce with his soon-to-be ex-wife, Heather. They were fighting over custody of their son, Carson. But Stephen was seen driving away in his own vehicle, and he was over six feet tall. So there's no way that he could have been the killer himself personally. So police took the truck driver to the Strood household who saw the white truck. He took one look and made a positive ID. He was 100% sure that was the truck he saw with a man behind the wheel. Well, that was enough for a warrant. It was an older truck, but when forensic analysis started to go through it, it was surprisingly immaculately cleaned. In fact, the only piece of visible evidence in the truck was a receipt from an ice cream cone shop made the, for a purchase of one ice cream made on the day of the murder. It was from a restaurant about an hour drive from the scene of the crime. Joanna Hayes, Stephen Strude's mother, admitted she was the one driving the truck. She also freely admitted that she was driving the truck that exact day. She said she stopped and bought an ice cream on the way to visit her parents, and it seemed like it was a good alibi. Forensic analysis did an extensive search of the truck, and they went over every surface with what they call tape lifts. It's basically a giant piece of clear tape. Mm-hmm. You stick it on the surface, you pull it up, and then you close it and, it, and it, and it captures anything, any fibers, any residue, any physical evidence that would be on that surface. So they analyzed what they found in that truck and they managed to get a couple things, even though it was very clean. They found one hair fiber mm. and it had, when they went to analyze, it had several unusual qualities. It had no texture and it was also color treated <gasps> and it was four inches in length, consistent with some, some kind of hair that would come out of a wig and that wigging out (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry that's okay and that wasn't all the tape lifts also picked up trace amounts of gunshot residue so a lot of people don't know this but gunshot residue is almost impossible to clean up or remove so they had a lot of compelling evidence they had the Um, witnesses in the parking lot they had the truck driver eyewitness they had the wig hair and they had the gunshot residue but they didn't have any direct evidence to who was driving the truck who shot heather or who wore the wig so joanna stephen's mother admitted to driving the truck but she had the receipt alibi and only one piece of the wig fiber and the gunshot residue was a thin case even if she did have a motive uh, because she didn't want to share custody of her grandson, Carson. So police decided to take a chance. 
they brought Stephen Strew down to the station and they showed him the surveillance tape on the day of the murder. The police asked if he recognized the suspect. Now, remember, the murderer had a very unique walk and they asked him, wouldn't you recognize somebody with that walk? Mm-hmm. Say, if it was somebody that you lived your whole life with and that you grew up with, maybe say someone like your mom, wouldn't you recognize that walk? The closer he looked, the more shocked he became. He began saying things like, no, 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 she couldn't possibly be this stupid and please tell me she didn't do this. And finally, when the detectives asked, Stephen, is that your mom? He said, quote, she walks just like her. If I had to guess, I'd say yes. So he actually had no idea? Yeah, he yeah, he had no idea. And oh my God, genuine. I thought he was in on it. So it, it seemed to be genuine, at least in my opinion, which I'm not an expert. So when, when they got him to, you know, when he said, if I had to guess, I would say yes, that's my mom on the video. He agreed to call his mom while, be recorded, while being recorded from the station. And this is how the phone call went. I'm going to read the quotes. Stephen, I just left the uh, police station. Joanna, why? Stephen, and they showed me the videotape. Joanna, yeah. Stephen says, it looks like you. And Joanna says, it looks like me. And Stephen says, mom, why did you do it? And he's, and his mom says, I didn't. And he's like visible, like he's audibly crying in this call. You can hear him. He's like, (laughs) you know, he could, you could hear him crying. And Steven says, mom, it looks like you. And then Joanna says, and you told him it was me. And Steven says, yes. And his mom says, so I guess they'll be coming here tonight to arrest me then, huh? And that was the end of the conversation. A little fishy, if you ask me. Um, Stephen, terrible husband, worst son. <laughs> no loyalty to anybody, but it, I mean, it is good. It is good that he turned on his mom. Yeah, I in would this have situation, to, obviously. Uh, my vote's for Stephen for president. Uh, so after this phone call, they thought that Joanna was a little bit acting suspicious, not necessarily how an innocent person, and I say innocent in quotes person would act detectives took a harder look at Joanna and they examined the timeline of the day and they looked on the receipt and it said that the ice cream was bought at 7 19 p.m so Heather was shot at 6 p.m and the police wondered if Joanna could of could have had time to commit the murder and make it to the ice cream place by 7 19 it was I think 64 miles away so the police drove the route. They drove from the parking lot to the ice cream place and they made it with plenty of time. This fucking cold bitch shot a woman in a parking lot in front of her child and then went and bought an ice cream cone. Yes, that's exactly what happened. And then went to visit her parents like nothing happened. Oh my God. And they found out that her ex-husband did at one point own a... 38 revolvers so she did have access to that type of gun what about the wig (laughs) it's it's in the wind nobody knows where the wig has gone if you have had contact with this wig please call us (laughs) (laughs) 
when Joanna was questioned, she was confronted with the fact that her son watched the video and identified her on the video. And her reply to that was, I think he needs to get his glasses. Wow. Yeah, I saw the video. Like, it shows her saying, like, I think he should get his glasses. Like, she's a cold piece, let me tell you. I mean, she was very cocky in that interview. I mean, she's, to be honest, she's a very slight woman, but she kind of scares the shit out of me. Uh, She didn't think that they, police had enough evidence to, let alone take her to trial, but win the trial. They had no weapon. And the witnesses described seeing a man at the scene of the crime, not a woman. However, she was charged with murder and prosecutors laid out Joanna's elaborate plan to murder Heather. Joanna wore a disguise, the wig and mustache, and waited for the exchange between Heather and Stephen. Once she was sure the baby was secure in his car seat, she approached Heather and no one knows the words they exchanged. Nobody will ever know that. And then Joanna shot Heather in broad daylight and then drove an hour away and bought an ice cream to attempt an alibi. But police proved she could have done both. And this dumb bitch, excuse my language, didn't realize the wig, hair, and the gunshot residue would give her up. Like I said, nobody knows what Joanna did with the gun and the wig. And in the end, uh, Stephen really was like the last nail in the coffin for Joanna. He provided the most damning evidence to get against her by saying that he recognized her in the video wearing the disguise. And the jury agreed. Joanna was convicted and sentenced to life in prison for murder and five years probation for wearing a bad wig and a fake mustache. Actually, they didn't charge, give her five years probation for the wig. <laughs> I added that. But she was actually charged. She was given life in prison plus five years probation. They didn't say what the probation was for. I just took the liberty assumed. and assumed it was the bad wig. I'm sure it is for the wig and, and probably for the wind up doll walk. <laughs> um, so Joanna still maintains her innocence. <gasps> and um, yeah. And in fact, Stephen later retracted his statement. Oh. <gasps> I forgot about that part. I just now read my handwriting and remembered he retracted his statement after she was convicted. Um, and ironically, the most ironic thing about this whole thing is the judge ordered that Joanna, no matter the circumstances, can never, ever contact Carson under any circumstances. And she was she was willing to kill for him. And she can never see him, never write him, nothing, never. I think that's probably the best punishment for her because clearly she was obsessed with her grandbaby. Yeah, she's definitely a very evil person. So police detective said that Joanna almost pulled off the perfect crime with her disguise. And the prosecutor said that Joanna was the most evil defendant that he's ever convicted of murder. And Yeah, I know. I mean, I think personally, I think in my opinion, I think she did it. So baby Carson now lives with Heather's parents and to end it on a good note, Heather, Heather's family was devastated by her loss, by their loss of, of, of Heather. But they said that when Carson laughs, he has his mom, his mom's laugh. And it reminds them of her every time he laughs. 
That made me cry a little bit. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. Oh my God. Poor sweet baby Carson. You did a great job. I think the mom did it too. She sounds fucking evil. If you have a an an intense, unusual walk, I mean, don't do any crimes, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, she practically could have just like done the fucking Roger Rabbit dance all the way to the car. <laughs> like it was like her walk was seriously crazy, very distinct. So not only did she have a very distinct walk, but she, if she had just probably looked like herself. She probably people would, have, would have looked at her. Yes, she added the wig. I mean, the wig looked insane. Yeah. And it drew more attention to her. And they, thank God for that truck driver. I think the truck driver is like the unsung hero of this whole story. Him being a very observant man and coming forward is pretty much what got this whole case solved. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if it wasn't, I mean, seriously, thank you to, let's actually just take a moment and thank truck drivers because they are also the heroes of this time that we're going through now. Mm. So thank goodness for that truck driver and thank goodness for the truck drivers working, delivering supplies to the grocery stores to us right now in quarantine. I mean, the whole case was crazy. I remember it aired like three or four months ago and I've always remembered that case because that composite sketch just stuck out my mind as being so ludicrous looking just like if I saw someone like that like imagine if someone really looked like that in real life I would be terrified (laughs) well you did a great great job thank you today I'm going to tell the story of rainbow man rock and roll and Stewart what Okay, I've never heard this, so I'm like so excited. Every time I say rock and rollin', take a drink. That's the game we're playing today. Okay, I didn't bring enough drinks, but okay. <laughs> you didn't, because I say it a lot. Okay, so Roland Frederick Stewart was born in 1944 in... Okay, Spok- wait, I'm sorry. I'm th- I'm sorry. What? I, his first name was Roland? Yeah, that's why his nickname is Rock and Rollin'. Oh, goodness gracious. I already love this. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Okay. So Roland Frederick Stewart was born in 1944 in Spokane, Washington. And I'm just going to give a very quick little backstory. His father passed away when he was 10. When he was in his early 20s, his mother died in a fire and his sister was strangled to death by her boyfriend. Oh, my God. He lost both of uh, his sister and mother within a year. And after all of this tragedy... Roland kind of bounced around and lived on his inheritance. He attempted to run a motorcycle shop, a weed farm, and finally decided, you know what? I'll be an actor. Okay. Uh, None of these things really pound out for him, including the acting. So Roland decided that maybe he could uh, further his acting career and get a little free exposure at sporting events. So he wore a crazy wig and tried his best to get on camera. That was his attempt to kind of drum up some publicity. Okay. So the first game, as I said, was just to get some exposure for his acting career. Mm -hmm. But then something changed. I mean, I don't know how good of an idea it is to like be discovered wearing a wild wig. Well, 
that doesn't, it doesn't matter if that idea was bad because <laughs> something changed in okay. Roland after that first game. Okay. Oh God. What happened at that game? Nothing happened at that game, but after the game, he went back to his hotel and turned on a program. And during that program, rock and Roland found Jesus. What? <laughs> Roland became a born again Christian. And that is where our story really begins. Oh gosh. Okay. Okay. I'm so freaked out I right now. I love how on Skype, I don't know if you're frozen or just like oh. can't move because you're processing. It's most of the time can't move because I'm processing. And I owe you like four drinks because you said rock and roll in like four times. That was my plan because I, I, I hope the listener is playing my drinking game. Okay. So Roland became a born again Christian. And Roland wanted to get his Christian message out. So when people really want to get the message out about Christ, they know that everybody has already heard of Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm just checking. So in order to get his message out, Roland wore a rainbow Afro-style wig and a t-shirt emblazoned with John 316 to televise sporting events. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he also had a John 316 sign. It is the verse, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him shall not perish and have oh, okay. everlasting life. Okay. So Roland's first major appearance was at the 1977 NBA Finals. And by the time of the 1979 MLB All-Star Game, broadcasters were actively trying to avoid showing him. <laughs> Roland would strategically place himself in areas the camera would focus on behind popular athletes or in key locations of the field, such as NFL go posts, goal posts <laughs> near Olympic medal stands. Even at the 1982 Indianapolis 500, he was behind the pits of race winner Gordon Johncock. Okay, where is he getting the funds to buy these tickets? Uh, I, I kind of get to that. Okay. So he traveled around the United States and overseas throughout the late seventies and early 1980s. And he really wasn't making any money at the time at all. People assume that most of his tickets were gifted either by other Christians who believed in his message or sometimes people who worked at the games would give him tickets. Okay. So his whole goal was to just spread the word of Christ. Yes. Okay. All right. He says that he drove about 60,000 miles a year to attend events. And he got more TV FaceTime than the network announcers <laughs> of the games. Okay. He's, he's intense. He's intense. Stewart was so well known that there was even a Saturday Night Live sketch where he was portrayed by Christopher Walken. <laughs> also, um, Stuart was reef was briefly jailed in Moscow uh, after <laughs> he um, pulled his shit at the 1980 Summer Olympics. In contrast to his rainbow man, high energy, notice me persona, Roland claims that he is actually a very shy person. Hmm. And he was quoted as saying, the rainbow man was not me. He was a character. And in order to play him, he said he needed to be stoned. <laughs> so, thou shalt smoke weed. That's what 316 <laughs> says. Thou shalt smoke weed. Super baked jumbo wig. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
living the life. Hey, man, have you heard about this guy's name is Jesus? That's it. <laughs> That's all he said. Roland began to spiral, and his beliefs, like his life, took a darker turn. Oh, no. I was just really enjoying this stoner, born-again Christian who liked rainbow Afro wigs and to annoy people at public sporting events. Oh, goodness. Yeah, he was uh, – it seems like he was really well-known um, – during this time, like I'm sure our parents know exactly who this guy was. The late 80s brought the end of the rainbow man. Stewart's car was totaled, his money ran out, and his wife left him, saying that he choked her because she held up a John 316 sign in the wrong location. <laughs> no I'm one can be icing at domestic <laughs> violence, but Roland really is starting to spiral at this point. Yeah. No one can meet my standards, said Roland, <laughs> who had been married four times, by the way. Oh, goodness. But he How doesn't does he keep getting wives. That's what I want to know. I, I have no idea. But he did say he didn't he didn't remember ever hitting his wife. But I don't know. I, I tend to believe the wife. Well, it wasn't situation. Roland. It was Rainbow Man who did it. So uh, as I said, he started to spiral and shit was getting out of control. He ended up being homeless and living in a lay skid row, which is no place you want to be. Mm-hmm. He hatched another more sinister plan to spread the word of Christ, targeting churches, religious broadcasters, and newspaper offices. He set up a string of stink bombs <laughs> to um, warn of the world's impending doom. It's nothing more sinister than a fucking nasty smelling fart. That is a <laughs> devil's work, I'm telling you. This guy. Um, targets included uh, the Orange County Register, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, and a Christian bookstore. He also attempted an attack at the American Music Awards. And he claimed that this attempted attack was to show the public that God thinks this stinks. Oh my, God. <laughs> oh my gosh. The, the stink bombs didn't hurt anybody, right? Just assaulted their senses. I don't think, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think a stink bomb can't, unless you. It doesn't actually blow up, does it? I don't think so, unless you actually hit somebody in the face with the stink okay. bomb when you throw it. I think it's just a stink bomb. I've just never witnessed a stink bomb, so it just does go <laughs> I, like that. I think so. Okay. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness. So stupid. <laughs> he also set off a remote control air horn during the 1990 Masters Golf Tournament, just as Jack Nicholas was about to swing. Oh, no. And that is like, that's like serious business in golf. Like, it has to be quiet. Remote control air horn? What a dick. <laughs> I mean, I have to say for a terrorist, he's like. Ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah. It's hard to take him seriously. I know. I mean, the stink bombs and the rainbow wig. It's hard to take him seriously. I agree with you. And why is he targeting like sports people? What is the deal with that? So he actually said in one of the interviews that he despised sports, but he knew that most Americans watched them. And so it was like broad audience. So that's why he was at them at these events. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So, rock and rollin' <laughs> just kept going downhill. 
um, he became paranoid and he feared the end times were near. Okay, so it sounds like rock and rollin' was actually rocking a real mental illness. I, I think that he had some issues. Yeah, I think his, so. His Christianity took on a total doomsday vibe after mm-hmm. this. So an arrest warrant was issued by the Santa Ana, California police after Stewart triggered electronic stink bombs at an event in New Jersey and Connecticut and at an OC church. So he did another round of stink bombs and the Santa Ana police were like, okay, we, we need to get this guy. We need to fucking lock this up. He is getting out of control. <laughs> the authorities actually feared that he had firearms and was growing increasingly unhinged as we, mm-hmm. I think uh, clear. we all can it's, attest to. Yeah. It's very clear that he is uh, in a downward spiral. Yeah. They also told the media that he should be considered dangerous because up until this point, he was kind of always with, you know, the media knew who he was and he was Mm -hmm. just this harmless kind of goofy guy. Mm -hmm. On September 22nd, 1992, Stewart locked himself in a Hyatt hotel room and kicked off an eight and a half hour standoff with police, demanding a three hour televised news conference to air his views. Mm. SWAT was more concerned with making sure that Stewart didn't begin taking shots at planes that were landing at the nearby Los Angeles International Airport. Stewart believed that the rapture was due to arrive in six days. By Stewart's own account, his desire to warn the world of a pending apocalypse had gotten out of hand. Most notably, in the process of his barricade, Rock and Rollin had surprised a maid cleaning the room which led him to kidnapping this poor woman. And uh, luckily, the woman locked herself in the bathroom away from Roland during the standoff, but she mm-hmm. was held captive by Roland, Roland during the almost nine-hour shit show. Thank goodness she got in that bathroom and was able to lock herself in there because who knows what would have happened. Exactly. I don't think that Roland would intentionally kill somebody, but obviously, mm-hmm. as we can if you're backed into a corner like who knows yeah and i'm sure this whole thing was terrifying for her Mm -hmm. but luckily she had the presence of mind to separate herself from him and she she remained safe during all of this good swat ended up throwing in what uh i believe a percussion grenade uh, into the room Mm -hmm. um and they detained rock and rollin the maid was (laughs) physically unharmed as far as i know as Mm -hmm. i said which thank goodness during the court proceedings there, it was kind of more of the same from Roland. He he hadn't learned anything. Mm-hmm. Roland had to be removed from the courtroom after he repeatedly called out warnings of a nuclear holocaust during the prosecutor's appeal for the maximum sentence <laughs> to be a fly on the wall of this court proceedings with Roland screaming that the end times were near. It would be kind of amazing. At one point, Roland said he had not intended to harm anyone during the nine-hour standoff with police, mm-hmm. but staged the incident to warn the world of its doom. Mm-hmm. Also, he said the world was going to end in six days, and that never happened, mm-hmm. which I always wonder that for the doomsday cults or the doomsday people, it's like when you give yourself such a close timeline, and then it doesn't happen. You just have to feel like kind of a fucking shithead, right? Mm-hmm. Seven days later, was he like, oh, fuck, great. M- my bad, guys. 
So Roland is currently serving three consecutive life sentences in (gasps) prison on kidnapping charges because he rejected a plea deal of 12 years, possibility of parole after six, all because he wanted to spread his doomsday message in open court. Oh my goodness. So he could have taken the plea deal and would have already been out of prison long ago, but he really wanted to go to court to spread his doomsday message. No, 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 no. No, I feel like he wasn't fit to stand trial. I feel like his, his, oh, I feel like he should appeal that. Seriously, his defense really fucked up. He sounds like he was not fit to stand trial. Well, he, uh, three life sentences. Yeah. And over the years, he has been repeatedly denied parole. After the trial, Rock and Roland was also found guilty of four stink bomb attacks. (laughs) What's the charge for that? It didn't say, but I just, I feel like if after the three life sentences, I don't think you have to bring back up the stink bombs. (laughs) I'm fully going to Google stink bombs when this is over, because I want to know what they are, how they're made, how they go off. But um, I think that he was not fit to stand trial. It seems like he was very unhinged by the end of all of this. Yes. It's sad because it kind of just started off as people liked him. Mm -hmm. He was this kind of fun, weird, goofy guy wearing a giant rainbow Afro wig and a John 316 t-shirt. He said he went through like 80 wigs during all of this because they (laughs) kept getting messed up and he had to get another one. And then his whole Christian belief system kind of just, it just turned dark. Mm -hmm. And why does it always fucking go to the end times, man? Everyone wants the end times to be like next week. It's sad that it all went downhill. He could still be getting free tickets to games. He could still be having a, a kind of a fun, wild life. Also, I forgot to cite my sources. So I'm just going to throw them in real quick. I uh, used a little bit of Wikipedia, a couple of LA Times articles that were written in the 90s, like right mm-hmm. after it happened. So those mm-hmm. were cool. And a mental floss article. Mm-hmm. So that's my story on rock and rolling. Rock was- and rolling. Rock and rolling. <laughs> Now you can finish your drink. <laughs> I mean, isn't that interesting? And he was kind of an institution for like 20 years. And I'd never even heard of him because we were kids when he got arrested. So that was a great story. I have never heard of him before. And I'm definitely going to ask my older people, sports fans in my life, if they've ever heard of him. But man, I just, I'm like so bummed out by a sentence. I mean, of all the bombs, a stink, stink bomb bombs. is that, I mean, I guess a bath bomb is the less harm, least harmless, but of, of all the bombs, you know, a stink bomb is, you know, okay. It smells, but you know, but let's so to, to just wrap up the episode, l- want to rank the bombs. So bath bomb, then stink mm-hmm. bomb, then bomb bomb. Is that what we're saying? Uh, <laughs> okay. Let's see. No. Okay. So it's bath bomb. Mm-hmm. And then stink bomb. And to mm-hmm. be honest, I think a fucking glitter bomb is above a stink bomb. <laughs> Have you ever tried to clean up glitter from anything? It's there forever. Okay. So bath bomb, stink bomb, glitter bomb, bomb bomb. Bomb bomb. Okay. Anyways, I loved your story. I feel terrible for Rainbow Man rock and rolling. I feel like it's kind of sad. It's kind of, I mean, the 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 Joanne from the case that I talked about got one life sentence 
and five years probation for literally executing her daughter-in-law. And Rockland, Rockland, <laughs> Rock and Roland got three life sentences. Yeah. Really threw I, the book at him. Yeah, they did. Man, I wish they would have just got him some, it sounds like the help that he needed. His, his, some, maybe he has access to mental, mental health in um, prison. Hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, he probably, he, hopefully he does. So, all right. Well, that was a nice true crime episode. Um, it was fun. It was fun to get back into true crime and your story was, was very sad, but, um, it wasn't, uh, a super heavy episode overall. So it was a nice little, uh, dip our toe in back into true crime. Mm-hmm. We're probably going to do a few more true crime themed episodes over the next few weeks Mm -hmm. and I think this was a good start yeah I uh concur (laughs) if you are out there and you're on Instagram or Twitter please find us follow us like us also um if you like what you hear rate review subscribe Mm mm-hmm you know, review Apple reviews and Podchaser also has reviews. We're on both. The more reviews we have, the more we're spread to new listeners. So a review it really helps. It really helps us. And it also like, you know, it's a good if it's a good review, it's a good it's a nice boost to like let us know, okay, you're in the right direction. You're in the right direction. Definitely. And the best compliment you can give us is to tell a friend about us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that wraps it up for today. It sure does. So don't forget, love yourself, lock your doors, and light some sage. Cheers to that. Cheers to that. <laughs> <laughs>